0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. There's lots of traditions uh, and feelings Uh, and faith that are associated with a day like this. Actually, behind me is a cross um, that is full of fresh flowers. So if I start sneezing soon, you'll know that that's legit. Um, Normally, one of the traditions we have as a church community on Easter Sunday and the various sites that you would have uh, walked into this morning, if if we were doing this in person, you would have received a flower and put it in the cross. And it's just a reminder of new life that comes up for us and that we're celebrating new life. Um, But there's lots of traditions maybe that are a part of your regular Easter. Easter celebration. Some of you eat turkey, as I've said to you before. I'm not one of those people that ever looked at a live turkey and thought that looks delicious. We should eat that. But hey, no judgment. Okay, I know some of you are getting really angry right now and worked up. Oh, you haven't had my grandma's turkey. It's okay. You don't. It's that's for you. Um, but maybe there's other foods or, or traditions that are associated with a part of your Easter celebration. I know there's just lots of feelings around this time of year that I love having, um, and for people of faith, of course, that there's a deep sense of faith and meaning for us in a weekend like this. And yet, the reality is, as we've already mentioned, this is not uh, an Easter like we've ever had before. Maybe many of the of the traditions that are normally a part of your Easter celebration have been interrupted or changed, or, um, you know, changed in a way that you're like, yeah, it was nice, but it's not the same. You know, you're missing the people you would have normally seen today. Um, You're on your own maybe today where you normally wouldn't be. Um, There's feelings that go with this. The, the, feeling of this is not quite right. And not just about today, but maybe the feelings as you've had as we are living through a worldwide crisis. And so the feelings are getting, um, you know, they're up and down maybe in a season like this. And certainly maybe even on a day like today, it's mixed feelings. And then, of course, when it comes to our faith and how we normally gather for those of us to say, yeah, this is the most important weekend of the year for me in my faith, that my faith actually feels like it's maybe taken a hit a little bit. And not just because of today, but because of what's going on in the world around us. And wherever you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you can relate to this idea of traditions being interrupted, feelings being up and down, and faith maybe being suppressed or dampened. And so the question is, maybe as we gather together here, Is there something other than tradition or feelings or even faith? that can bring us together on Easter, that become the most important ingredient on a day like today. Let me throw out a word for you that rarely is inspiring for most people, a few nerds accepted, uh, the word history. (laughs) Now, uh, you can, if you're with somebody next to you, or um, you can text somebody, just sort of go, history for you. Like, if you think about history class, and you're like, yes, I loved it. Others you are like, I hated it. Others you are like, meh. Others of you were like, I remember nothing. Uh, so just take a moment and just exchange that with the person around you. If you're texting someone who's not a part of this online service, just say, hey, I'll explain it to you later, but I hated history. Uh, you can do something like that. Uh, maybe you can direct them to the service later. History is one of those words that we don't find very inspiring for the most part. Maybe people, or oh, it's interesting, but it's sort of in the past, maybe the relevance of it we struggle with, or we just sort of am eh, not, not. it's not a thing for me. But what's so interesting to note today on a day like today is that the very first Easter, the people who, in a sense we can say celebrated it, was not their celebration was not out of a source of where, where feelings, like good feelings were abounding, where great traditions were coming together as things they had celebrated forever or where faith was at an all-time high. In fact, there were no traditions associated with it. The feelings were down and there was no faith to be found anywhere. It was actually events that were taking place that formed the gathering of the first people around Easter. And so it's actually an invitation for us to say, as we go back, as we look back into events, which later become history as we look back on them, that in them is actually a source for us that is, far, almost stronger than feelings or tradition or even faith. And it certainly was for the first people that celebrated the first Easter. Um, We actually have for us four what we call biographies, but they're really maybe better termed historiographies of the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the community that began to form around him as the very first people that found faith in this. And um, we are going to be looking at his life over these next um, many weeks through a series that we're calling History Maker and the life of Jesus. But here's why this matters for you and me so much. Because We actually need, for some of you who would say, well, I'm not a person of faith. I don't believe I'm trying to figure it out. My message to you, our message to you as the church is not just have faith or just try to believe. It's actually, no, the source of any faith that you might have is actually grounded in history. And I don't mean the history of the church because many of us have written off faith because of the history of the church, because of what we've seen in church history, It's not actually meant to be grounded in what you've seen in the history of how other Christians or people in your home behave. Many of us, again, have written off faith, have walked away from it because of how church history or other Christians we knew or how the people in our home behaved, but actually saying, no, there is a source. Like if that's that's the foundation of your faith, um, that's going to be pretty shaky. It's not actually the great starting point for you. It's actually found in history way back in the life of Jesus as it began. And as we study the community of people that uh, gathered around him. And for those of us that would say, no, I have faith, like uh, at a time when... Feelings, traditions, and faith are maybe feeling like suppressed or like they're taking a beating. I am inviting you to ground your life in God in something even more than just that. That started with a look into the life of Jesus, and so over the next seven weeks, we're actually going to be looking through one of the historiographical accounts of the life of Jesus through the book of Luke. And our hope and our goal is saying that that is not just a piece of history; it made history. It's not just a story; it has changed our stories as well. And so that is the invitation over the next seven weeks. But why are we beginning here today? Maybe J- uh, John Orberg in his book, the, the, uh, Who Is This Man? probably put it best. And here's what he said. One of, unique, one of the unique aspects of Christianity compared to other faith movements is that it actually traces its origin to one particular event in one moment on one day in history. This is not true for Judaism or Buddhism or Islam or atheism, but one day there was no such thing as a church. And then suddenly overnight, there was. And so we actually begin with a look into the history of the church and something that started in one day and one time in one particular event that actually had nothing to do with feelings or tradition or even faith, but a moment in time, a moment in history that catalyzed a change that changed the world and changed the stories of every person who interacted with it, including yours and mine. And so we're looking into, as we begin today, uh, a description of two individuals and their encounter with this event through Luke's uh, gospel, through Luke's story, as we begin to see how did this actually change their lives and how does it begin to change ours as well. And here's what Luke writes for us. Now that same day, and so that's the three days after the death of Jesus, two of them, that's two of Jesus' disciples, or originally his disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're leaving Jerusalem, walking towards Emmaus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And you say, what happened? We'll find out. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, have you lived in a cave? Are you dumb? You know, the disciples later on probably made fun of Clopas and said, you kind of implied that Jesus was dumb. He's like, yeah, but I didn't know it was Jesus. They're like, you didn't recognize Jesus? Anyways, they made fun of him, I'm sure. But here's this moment where this stranger walks up to them. They don't realize it's Jesus. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And feel this, they just stood still. You know, have you ever been in a conversation where all of a sudden you stop and you look at the other person? And part of, and you're saying, are you for real? Or it's because something is going on in you and they're like, what's the matter? It would be the equivalent of somebody saying, you know, you said something about the virus and someone says, what virus? You'd be like, are you for real? Are you kidding? How do you not know? And so they stop, but it says they, they weren't just like, how do you not know? They, they were downcast in their spirit, distraught, right? It says they stood still, their faces downcast and just looked at him. They said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? How could you not know this thing that has ripped our hearts out? This is conversation. And so Jesus says to them, what things? Maybe the funniest question in all of uh, the New Testament. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And then they begin to tell the story of what they had been chewing on and what had made them so distraught. He was a prophet, which for in the Jewish culture, that language meant like someone from God, powerful in word and deed before God. In other words, empowered by God and all the people. In other words, it seemed like God was with him and everyone else recognized it. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And you say, well, what was that about redeeming Israel? Well, Israel was under the thumb of the Romans. And really it was just the fourth empire in a row over the space of 400 years that had ruled them. And perhaps Rome was the cruelest and had ground them into submission, into a dust. And everything that was valuable to them about their culture and about their faith and their economy and their family systems and how it all worked was either ridiculed or disregarded by the Romans or stopped by them or taken completely away from them. And they said, we had hoped, we had hoped. And so these are two people expressing on behalf of a whole community, completely dashed hopes. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. And they said, in addition, some of our women amazed us. And that word doesn't mean, "Ah, ta-da, it means disturbed us or shook us. In other words, what happened? They went to the tomb where Jesus was buried early this morning and they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so these travelers are are explaining to Jesus, who they don't realize is Jesus, we are hopeless. Our hopes are dashed. In other words, like, and picture this, they're walking away from Jerusalem, they're leaving. They were probably with a community of people that came into Jerusalem just a few days earlier with Jesus, so excited about what was gonna happen, so believing he was going to restore them to their political and religious and ethnic and social identity and independence. They were gonna free them from the Romans and and create this original, like give back the promised land to their people and, and keep them safe again and everything they had wanted. And they were coming into Jerusalem probably a few days later with Jesus thinking, this is the moment. A few days later, Rome did to him what they had done to anyone who had tried to oppose them. They had publicly shamed him and killed him. The death, death by crucifixion wasn't just uh, an, an efficient way of killing people. In fact, it was very inefficient. It took hours, and it was painful and excruciating, and it was very public. In fact, we know in Roman history you know, even in Jerusalem uh, at one point, a little bit earlier that hundreds of people had been crucified and their crosses lined the streets as a reminder to everyone, this is what happens to anyone who crosses Rome. This is what happens to anyone who thinks you are going to be saved or you're going to have your independence again. And so crucifixion was this very public, excruciating, painful, shameful way to die. And so they're saying, we had hoped, but he's dead. And so now they were walking away from Jerusalem. Everything that they had hoped Jesus would do, these were two people whose lives were completely, you know, shattered in a sense. And it was even worse than having no hope at all. We had hoped, we thought things could actually be different, that something was going to change after 400 years. But now we know that's not true. And so they're walking away. They're leaving Jerusalem. And so they explained this to Jesus. This is why we're so upset. This is why we're downcast. This is what's gone on. Well, Jesus responds to them. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe. All that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah, that means anointed one, the chosen one. Remember they said we had hoped he was the one. He said, did not the one have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. This is again, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, that's a reference to all of basically the substance of Old Testament scripture. He says, which they would have known. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, they still didn't know he was talking about himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. Obviously they were being drawn in by this stranger who was beginning to say things to them that was doing something to them. So they said, no, no, don't, don't leave. Let's not finish this conversation. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, they're in their home, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Of course, that was Jesus. How did we not know something inside of us was coming alive again, even as he was speaking? And he breaks the bread and they suddenly realize it's him. And then he's gone. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11. That's the, the, the disciples. The, the, remember, Jesus had the 12, but Judas, who had betrayed him and then took his own life because of guilt. <clears throat> um, there was 11. And those with them assembled together, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then the two, the two people who were on the road to Emmaus, told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. <clears throat> this is such an incredible turn of events as Jesus is explaining to them and helping them to make sense of why the suffering and death of the Messiah even happened. And as they're starting to understand, they say, come with us, like stay. You're obviously helping us understand something we didn't get. And then he breaks bread and he's with them and, and they, or they, their eyes are open and they realize, oh my gosh, it's you. They understand it's Jesus And then he disappears. And then look what happened. They ran back to Jerusalem, right? The place that they were leaving, which was a place of hopelessness and despair and um, shame and... you know, grief in their hearts as they were still grieving as they walked away. It says they ran back to Jerusalem. They found the rest of the disciples who they heard them saying, this is what's happened. We heard it's happened to you. Like you saw him, we saw him too. All of this is taking place now. And so they start to realize, wait, this is actually happening. This is actually true. And now everything begins to change for them. So it's it's this, uh, moment in time. And, and the question I have for you is, as you watch this happening, as you listen to this story, we realize, wait, what was the source of this first group of followers? And as they began to actually return to Jesus, give me a moment, am just going to get a drink of water. <clears throat> Was their faith, the original faith of this community of people as they return and start to realize and compare stories and realize, wait, Jesus has actually risen from the dead. And think about this. This was an interaction that they had had with him in the flesh, that they had a person they had walked with that they didn't recognize. And suddenly they were able to see that it was Jesus. And they ran back to the disciples and said, that thing that the women told us that we were all like, what? That can't be true. Um, That then Peter actually saw him and realized it was also true. We actually now saw him. The news was starting to spread. And now various people were actually starting to say, I saw him too. I saw him too. I touched him too. I ate with him too. And the scriptures actually tell us that he appeared to over 500 people in the subsequent days, eyewitnesses as they were interacting. And the question for you is this, what was their, um, the movement, the, the foundation and the conviction uh, of, uh, in Jesus based on? It was not faith. It was not a Bible that was already written. It was not because a priest had told them whatever. It was because they had seen him die and then they saw him alive again. They had seen him die and they saw him alive again. That wasn't faith. It was a historical fact for them. Something happened. It wasn't based on their faith. It wasn't based on a holy book because the holy book they didn't understand was telling them Jesus had to explain it to them. It wasn't based on what a priest told them or whatever. They had actually thought it was gone. This was not true. He's not the one. And then they saw him they saw him and he began to explain it to them. And so the question actually really for for them and for us is, what is the foundation of our faith? Is it a book? Is it a tradition? Is it the church? Is it a pastor or a priest or other Christians? Are these the things that become the bedrock, the foundation of our faith? We actually have to go back to the early church, to the very beginning, to how this whole started and say, they didn't have a book that told them this was going to happen. In other words, Jesus had to explain it to them, but they didn't realize that that wasn't what was they were based on. They didn't have a tradition of this. The Jews in no concept of their belief thought that Messiah would actually be God who would die and be raised again to life, which is why when, they, when he died, they all left. It wasn't like they're like, oh, wait for it, wait for it. It's like, No. This is what happened to every messianic movement. Everyone who claimed to be the Messiah, all they had to do was kill him. And the movement ended. They had no tradition that pointed them towards one. They thought one day resurrection would happen for everyone at the end of days. They never thought it would happen to one person. They didn't think that, that it would happen to God's Messiah that would prove that he was not only their savior and here, that he was Lord. They never thought there was no tradition that pointed this to them. And so there was no community at that time that said, oh yeah, it's all going to happen. In fact, the community was gone when Jesus was killed. there was only a few people left at the cross, and only the women went to the tomb to actually anoint the body. Everyone else was gone. And so there was no one, pastor or priest or church leader, you know even the 11. it wasn't like Peter was standing up there still full of faith. Don't worry, we saw him walk on water, we saw him do these things, have faith. None of that was there. what? changed, what turned the tide, what became the foundation of their faith? Jesus' death and his resurrection. The fact that he was raised to life. And I would submit to you that in these days and times, when feelings, when tradition, when even in a sense faith feels like it's being suppressed or changed or disrupted or very manic up and down with the news, that you and I, or for some, some of you that say, well, I don't, I don't even know where to start. I, I can't just believe. And I'm not sure, uh, uh, I can't make sense of the Bible totally. And uh, I don't know if uh, pastors or, I, I, and I don't, I'm not part of a church. I don't, where do I begin? We begin where the whole movement began with Jesus, the historical fact of his death and his resurrection that catalyzed the movement. And this is not to say that oh, the Bible isn't a good book or an inspired book or anything, but it's not enough to be the foundation of our faith. It is insofar as it points us to him that the foundation of our faith is not a book, it is a person. And the reason it, we can trust that person is because of his death and his resurrection, because he said it would happen and it happened. And the eyewitnesses around him didn't have faith. They had a fact in front of them that changed everything for them. And it changed their story and it changes ours too. It changed everything for them because they realized, wait, everything else he said about God and about us is true. It took the teachings of this, the great teachings of this rabbi and put them into, these are the words of God. If this man also as part of his teaching said, I'm going to die, I'm going to give up my life and three days later I'll be raised again. When that was true, they suddenly realized everything he said is true. It's changed their lives because they felt like, hey, we may still be under Roman occupation and Roman oppression, but we do not need to be afraid of it anymore. We do not need to think that God somehow is limited by the things that seem to be limiting our faith because God himself was crucified by religion, by politics and by military force. And when he was raised to life, he proved he was greater than all of those things. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. It changed their lives because they realized, wait, he is the one. This is good news. Everyone needs to know this because there has been no one like him before. And that's why it not only got rid of all their fear as they went around the world. If you read actually the the biography of the, the book of Acts, over and over it says they went everywhere telling people about the resurrection the resurrection as eyewitnesses. In one of the early letters that Paul wrote to one of the young churches in Corinth, he said, I give to you what was passed on to me. And he begins to explain that Jesus Christ lived and taught and was killed, crucified, buried, and on the third day rose again. The resurrection changed everything for them. And these people who were too afraid to even stand with Jesus when he was being tried, uh, like arrested, tried, beaten, and killed, Within a few years, many of them died giving up their life because they refused to stop talking about the resurrection. This changed everything for them. And not just getting rid of fear of death, but realizing there's no better news than this because this validates him and everything he has said. Their whole, the movement was started not through faith, but in confidence in a person because of the event that catalyzed everything for them. But even more than that, friends, for us today, many years later, we who were not eyewitnesses about this, this is not simply just about in loving memory of. This isn't a historical exercise that we look back and remember when this happened. It means that Jesus is still alive and he's doing now for us what he did for them then. He is still explaining himself to us. Do you love that? In the passage, when it says that he's walking with these two people, they don't recognize that it's him. And he said, it says he explained to them everything in the scriptures concerning himself. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus was explaining himself to them and he is still alive doing that to us. What I mean by that is No one else, in a sense, can convince you of something or convince you to believe. We have a role as a community to encourage each other, to remind each other of what's true and what's real in seasons like this. And I would encourage you to keep doing that because we're all feeling our feelings and traditions and our faith taking a hit this season. But ultimately, Jesus is the one that explains to you and explains to me who he really is and how this works. It's interesting, I underlined for you in the scriptures they were reading how they were kept from recognizing him. They didn't see Jesus. There's this theme actually through the gospel of Luke that we'll find as we go in, that in a sense, it is a struggle to see Jesus. Like you, you see things, but you don't quite see, or you see things, but you don't quite believe, or you believe for a little while, but then later things get foggy and you don't believe. You see this actually all the way through. That actually describes so much of our journey, right? Of faith. At times we feel so convinced and so true and sure that this is what it is and then there's things that come and they they fog it over for us. Or we see the behavior of other people in a sense who maybe are supposed to represent God for us and things get cloudy and we somehow feel like we can't see Jesus again. Jesus still needs to be opening eyes over and over for us to see him. For some of you, for the first time that you've seen this as something like religion or you've seen like you need Jesus to open your eyes, he is alive, still able to do it. And you can even just say to him, I need you to do this for me. But for those of us to say, yes, I've seen, but sometimes it gets cloudy. And even in a season like this, maybe that Jesus is still alive, explaining himself to us. He is helping us understand who he is and why it's such good news. He's also helping us make sense of suffering. Did you get how they, he was doing that for them? Right? He was saying, didn't you realize how the Messiah had to suffer? And I think one of the things we realize through Easter as we, on Good Friday, remember and even celebrate the death of Jesus and all that we received through his death in our place, and then on Easter Sunday, his resurrection, is that pattern is not just what happened to Jesus then. It actually presents to us a pattern of how God is always at work from death to life. That song we sang, from death to life, grace to grace, that this happens over and over and over again. Because in the life of Jesus, we see even when something feels like it has gone to the point of no return. Death, death, right up till the resurrection of Jesus. We say death is the end for everyone. It has the final word. Nobody gets to beat it or cheat it. No matter how, how old you are, how much money you have, how much good you've done in life or what you've done for God, everyone dies except him. He died. And three days later, he came back to life. And so now we realize not only will we too be raised to life one day, in a microcosmic way, day after day, God is leading us through this thing of saying we see things die that fall to the ground, just like the analogy Paul gave to his people who understood farming was, hey, a seed, you actually throw it away, right? It's something that's living, but you throw it away and it dies. Why? So that something bigger and better can grow out of it. They understood that from a farming standpoint. He says, yeah, but that's actually what's happened now that's what makes sense. Now that Jesus has died, was thrown away and raised to life, totally new. That is not only what's going to happen to you. God is doing that over and over and over again, helping us not only make sense of suffering, the crosses, the graves in our lives, but also making dead things alive again. Speaking to the dead things in us, and bringing them alive again. Helping us to make sense. Not saying suffering is good. That's not what the script. the cross was not good. We know it was evil. It was the work of evil men. It was the worst day, right? But just when it seemed like God was losing, he was winning. Saying he's helping us to make sense of suffering. Not because it's good, but because it, it, it creates an opportunity for God to bring new things and to bring life. And Jesus is doing that over and over and over again. And because he is still alive, we can say, yeah, he's doing that for me. And so what I want to leave you with now as we begin this series is history. His story repeats itself in your story, in my story. This is happening over and over and over again, in your story, in my story, from death to life. And so whether you're someone who says, yeah, I'm kind of skeptical, either because you say, I've never really embraced faith. I'm checking it out. Or I just happen to be right now in this season. Or maybe confused or doubting, like those people walking away from Jerusalem, scratching their heads in despair, saying, "I don't understand this." Or is there hopelessness even that's come into your life because of the circumstances that are going on? Look, all of these things can describe um, experiences like this in, in the season we are in right now. Right? If that's where you're at and you're saying, "Okay, Jesus, this isn't just your story; it's my story too." So can can I, I want you to explain yourself to me? So I would encourage you in this season: give Him room. To explain himself to you again. It's a prayer that you can always pray, even if you say, I'm not even sure you're there, but if you are, can you explain yourself to me? Can you convince me that this is true because you're alive? Invite him in to begin to make sense of your suffering. You know, most of it I think we won't understand until we are raised to life again and all of the suffering has ended, right? But Jesus already began to do that. It says when he come, came to his disciples and he had the nails in his hands, they weren't bleeding anymore. And he, it sh- he showed them his scars and he explained to them why he had to suffer. And so if he could do that for himself and his own suffering, say, Jesus, can you help me make sense of my suffering? Help me begin to understand it. And to anchor your hope in him again, not in your tradition, not in your feelings, not in faith, but in him his death and resurrection, all that it meant, all that it means as he is still alive today. And as death to life is repeating itself in our lives again. And so some of the ways you can do that is just to join us during this History Maker series. Um, over the next seven weeks to maybe invite people along the journey with you. This message will be posted online and so you can send it to people and say, hey, I think you should check this out. But for all of us, we wanna continue to meet and gather and have this little anchor every week in the midst of lots of other things that are changing. Um, We have a blog that we write, that we're going to be writing through the Gospel of Luke. So for those of you who say, I have never read the Bible before, or I try and I fail and don't really know how, um, that we're going to give readings for you online that you can read and just explain it a little bit um, and actually create an opportunity for Jesus to explain himself to you through his own story. That's what he does. That's how the scriptures become alive for us through him. Um, And then also in your home groups, each week as you gather and as we begin to say, hey, yeah, his story is my story. It's your story too as we begin to journey and and through this together. And so that's a number of ways that you can do that. But I want to leave you with this, that that for 2,000 years since that event, billions of people from all over the world who maybe did not share a language in common, an ethnic background in common, um, Uh, things that they had done in common, socioeconomic class, whatever it was, so many differences, billions of people for the last 2,000 years. But they shared this one thing in common. They said, his story is my story. It has become my story. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And my encouragement invitation to you is that would become your story as well.